Welcome to the Advanced Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rotelli. Today we're joined by Utah men's lacrosse coaches Adam Gittleman and Marcus Holman. In addition to being Division I coaches, Adam and Marcus are two of the greatest players in the game today. Adam played at UVA where he led the Cavs to a national title in 2011. He's played in the MLL for the past seven seasons and recently decided to make the jump from the MLL to the newly formed PLL, which we will talk about a bit later. Marcus is the second all-time leading scorer from University of North Carolina and has been an all-star in the MLL and plays for Team USA, where he won a world championship this past summer. Fellas, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? Doing great, Chris. Thanks so much for having us. You yeah. can uh, track our connection here out in the mountains of Utah. <laughs> What's fired up? Fired up to be on, Chris. This is Marcus Holman. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling. No, this is great, guys. We've never done a podcast with two guests at the same time, but you guys are so connected in everything you do uh, uh, as coaches of Utah and also. Um, with the Give and Go Foundation and pro players. So uh, this will be fun. You know, you guys do so much in the sport right now. You're pro players, as we mentioned, college coaches at Utah, and you grow the game with the Give and Go Foundation. So we do have a lot to talk about. Let's start with the present. Guys, how are things in Salt Lake City right now with the Utes lacrosse program as you're just about two months away from playing your first ever game as a Division One program? Adam, I'll let you take the lead. Yeah, things are, (laughs) as always, and much respect. Thank you. Uh, Well, you know, right now everything's going really well with us here in Utah. We've, you know, had a full slate of fall ball underneath our belts and kind of cooling down now into a voluntary week where we're starting up a reading period and, and getting into finals. So, you know, with the roster with a lot of young guys, we wanted to make sure that we gave them the ample time and balance here uh, as we move forward into the finals week to, to take care of academics and that's obviously a huge piece for us uh, in terms of you know getting the great experience for our student athletes is, is making sure that they can take care of what they need to off the field when those times come and you know when you look at what we've been able to accomplish on the field it's been a great fall uh, we've we've had a number um, of great opportunities to just continue to improve it whether it be practice and having an opportunity to scrimmage against UMBC at U.S. lacrosse and be able to uh, get out to Baltimore and East Coast and do, you know, as a team, travel for a full weekend uh, and compete was uh, really positive for us. And, you know, with the roster of a lot of guys returning with with then, you know, a a larger ratio of of freshmen, you know, been doing a lot of teaching, uh, both tactically, schematically, but more so even with just development of culture and trying to build a sustainable presence of, of who we want to be on the field. And that, you know, trickles down from every position. And, you know, it's who we are as a coaching staff trying to implement the way we want to play, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the course of two to three months with a lot of new guys. We've really leaned on uh, our players who have been with us for about, you know, the past two years of, of us coaching from, from day one uh, to really help us. Uh, translate that onto the field. So it's been great. We've uh, we've really had a great process, and the development of our team has has been a, a phenomenal. Uh, and we're continuing to look forward to trying to get better every day, any way that we can. So you talk about implementing culture with the with this year's team. 
talk about that a little bit. What what are the characteristics you're trying to um, to bring out of your team, and, and what what is the culture that's important to you guys at University of Utah? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and, and take that one, Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as again, I feel like culture is definitely a maybe a buzzword that's thrown around a lot um, these days, and in, in, in terms of building teams and organizations. And it's definitely true that, you know, we're trying to build and I feel like we have done a great job of building our, our Utah lacrosse culture the past two seasons. And, you know, it's, it's trickled into to this um, third year. Um, we were really excited to name four captains a couple weeks ago after, you know, our, our phase one of our, our fall season. Uh, and it's funny, two of them are actually transfers and first-year players for us. Jimmy Perkins is a transfer from Robert Morris. He's an attackman. Outstanding kid. Um, he brings it every single day. And, and Liam Donnelly is a goalie. He's a transfer from Rutgers, um, who's kind of a, a silent assassin in, in terms of his leadership. He does a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, um, and he runs you know, down on the, the defensive end for us. And then the two other captains are guys that we've had uh, from day one since we've been out here, Seth Nealman and Aaron Felstead. Um, and they're really guys that just just know the ropes, um, again, and they do a great job of, of providing um, quality leadership to, to these new freshmen. So that was exciting for us. Um, and then, you know, just to dive a little bit more into the culture piece, a huge part of that is, is our Utah lacrosse binders, um, which are, are comprised of our pillars. Uh, we have five pillars at, at University of Utah and, and their honesty, humility, passion, gratitude, and trust. Um, obviously, they're, they're, you know, awesome attributes to build into your character as a human being. Um, but they're not just words that we throw around and, and, you know, they're not just surface words for us. They really, we really dive into each word and what it means and how we can apply it to our daily lives and how we can apply it to, to being a better teammate. Um, and our binder is kind of dives into that and then dives into other things that we need to continue to acquire as people um, in order to be, you know, respected members of, of this community and this, this lacrosse team. So usually on Wednesday nights, um, which we'll have tonight as well, we, we dive into that and the conversations range from, you know, catching up on guys and how their, you know, Thanksgiving break was to um, some pretty serious conversations where, you know, guys are, are calling each other out and um, it, it can get pretty intense. Um, you can laugh, you can cry, you can think. I think there's a lot of, of um, energy and, and emotion that goes into those meetings. So those are super important for us. And um, we've, we've had a couple awesome, awesome uh, Wednesday nights the past couple of weeks that that's awesome so guys i'm curious when did you two kind of meet and come together and decide that you wanted to take this leap and coach utah um it started off as an mcla club club program um with the vision of going division one take me through that process of going from mcla to division one has it been what you anticipated um it would be, or is it different than you expected? Yeah, I think coming out here and, and, and making the decision to, to take over the program at the club level, the vision the whole time was, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's get this thing 
over the top and into Division One lacrosse. And you know, from day one, you know, we talk about developing our culture and developing traditions and who we want to be and how we want to play. We've been coaching this team with that vision in mind since day one. So on the field, in terms of how we coach the team, whether it's schemes, tactics, fundamentals, how we want to play in certain scenarios, uh, you know, we've been, we've been on the working path with that since we've been here. And we've even, you know, we've been, we were lucky with the way we were coaching, you know, the, the club team over the past two years is, you know, we were implementing strategies based on our experience in the MLL, almost in anticipation to potentially seeing a shot clock in day one of our, of our first year. So, you know, the way we've coached, you know, the, the speed we want to play at, the rhythm we want to have on offense, um, the pace we want to play at defense, has really been coded and categorized to, to be able to play right away uh, at this pace on shot clock. So, we feel like we've been really prepared there uh, in terms of just on the field and coaching and development of our players. You know, that's been our true, true focus since the moment we got here. Now, with being a club team, it actually, you know, as, as in terms of management and logistics and, you know, just merely just finding field space, we had to be super savvy. Uh, we had to be resourceful. You know, we were practicing as a, as a club team at times, you know, starting at 530 in the morning and even some practices where, you know, we were practicing from 10 p.m. to midnight just because that was the field space that we had on. And I think it helped develop this, you know, blue collared attitude that's in, ingrained in who we are. You know, you're looking at guys who are returning on our team that now have a locker room. But for the first few years of their career here. They're driving to practice in a hatchback with, you know, two or three of their buddies in the morning with their bag over their shoulder with gear that they washed, um, you know, and stepping out into the field right out of their car. Like, you know, you, you since you're in fourth, fifth grade. So, you know, that piece of our program, I think, is unique. And now that we're a varsity program, you know, we do have a lot of these really great resources, you know, everything that we have on campus and being a part of a Pac-12 school is such a huge advantage to us. Whereas we love all that, but we're also kind of like, hey, you know, shielding a little bit of it off because we really want to maintain that toughness and that attitude that we've had. One of, you know, hey, strap it on and play. We don't need, you know, all this pretty stuff. We just want to play tough. We want to play hard. And that's who we are, you know. So that's been great for us. And, you know, Marcus, do you have anything to add there? No, I mean, you, you pretty much covered it. I was just, you know, waiting for you to add the, the roll-up to practice with your equipment in the back of your car that's been stinking up for the past couple of days. Chris, <laughs> I know you can appreciate that. I think every you know, lacrosse player days. and parent and coach can appreciate that smell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, what are the expectations and the goals for this first season? What does is, what is success look like? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, success for us is, is, is just going to be competing in, in every game. And, um, you know, while, while we're constantly focusing on, on getting some wins along the way, I think just having a complete team effort um, in, in every game that we play and, you know, tenants 
program are, are never give up, you know, no excuses, um, no palms up. Um, so those are some things that you can expect out of, out of Utah lacrosse here. You know, it, it, it may be, um, you know, 16 to nothing against Duke in the, in the fourth quarter, but we're not going to stop playing until that final whistle sounds. And um, that's just ingrained, ingrained in our, our DNA. Um, the returning guys that have for two years know that. Um, and we do have some young players that are, are figuring it out. Some have figured it out quickly. Um, others, it, it's taken a little bit more prodding to get them to, to realize that, you know, you have to bring it every day um, to be a member of this program. We, we, we like to say that, that we don't have any existing personnel on our team. Everybody in this, in this program and to make each other better um, and pursue excellence. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we we have any specific goals in terms of how many games we want to win or, or this and that. You know, we want to win every game that we play. Um, you know, we, we I think on the first team meeting that we had, um, Coach Holman brought up the, the Vegas Golden Knights, the NHL team. That was a first-year expansion team last year that made it all the way to a, a game seven in, in the Stanley Cup final. So, um, you know, why not have high aspirations? And, and, you know, we're going to push and, and do the best we can to, to just compete against every team that we play. So, Marcus, you, you, you refer to your dad, Brian Holman, as Coach Holman. And I want to <laughs> ask what, you know, you've had a real unique relationship with your father. He coached at North Carolina when you were there. Um, what's it like coaching with your dad? And would you guys have have pursued this Utah opportunity if, if you were not involved as the head coach? That's a good question. I, I really, I, I couldn't tell you that, honestly. Um, it's funny. I, I, he's been with me almost every step of the way alongside my cross journey, which is, you know, not, not many people can, can say that. Um, and I'm super fortunate and, and blessed that he's a part of my life. And, and, you know, we've, transition from you know father son to um to coach to player and now we're coach to coach um so it's it's been like three different types of relationships um that we've we've worked through and you know to to be honest and I think any any parent coach would admit this there there were a couple days where you know there were some tough conversations and it wasn't all lovey-dovey and I, I think that is what makes it even more special is that you know, he's, he's always been honest with me, um, in his assessment of me as, as a player. And even now as a coach, um, just trying to, to push me to, to make me a better, um, better person every day. So yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate. Um, I think, I think any player that has played for, for my dad or, um, you know, coach Gittleman and coach Manny, I think can attest that, um, He's he's a pretty special guy, and I think he's he's a little bit different than than maybe your your traditional coaches. But um, you know, I think what he does best is, is bring out um, the best in the players that he coaches, and he makes more than just about lacrosse. Um, at yeah. the end of the day, he's trying to coach these these kids for life, um, and, and you know, he uses lacrosse as a, as a vehicle to help you know better them as people. Um, which, which I think is, is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. Um, you know, sometimes there's a, a kid may call coach Holman and, and both of us turn, turn our heads, but uh, <laughs> I know he, I know he's the boss. Um, you know, I, I, 
I'm uh, just lucky to, to be around him. That's awesome. So, yep. so guys, where do you see the Utah program five years from now? I think you're going to see us right on the cuffs, man. I think we're going to have ourselves in, a, in an opportunity to, to get to the big weekend. I think we're going to be challenging to be in those games. You know, give us five years. Give us the recruiting classes that we're looking to recruit. Uh, you know, the sustainable culture development. Uh, we're going to be right in the mix, and that's our goal. It's very clear. You know, we want to win a national championship here at the University of Utah. And with that time, I think we're going to, it's certainly going to be possible. We truly believe that we're going to be knocking on the door. Yeah, that's awesome. So, as, as college coaches, you guys travel the country on the recruiting trail and you see players from all over. Um, when you compare East Coast lacrosse to West Coast lacrosse, what are some of the similarities and differences that stand out to you right now? Uh, I, I think you'd hear, I think most college coaches or, or even high school coaches say that, you know, that quote unquote IQ is just stronger on the, on the East Coast based off of, um, you know, I think, I think a deeper pool of quality coaching. Uh, I think there's, there's, you know, plenty of, of awesome coaching on the West coast. Yes. That was a, uh, pump up of advanced lacrosse. <laughs> um, and it's, it's certainly growing out that way in California and Colorado and, and Seattle and Texas. Um, but you know, the quality of, the high school programs on the East coast, you know, in, in the MIAA leagues or the IAC or, um, the interact in, in Philly and, you know, the, the long Island leagues, like it's just, it's just really deep. Um, you know, I remember playing in the MIAA as a, as a high school kid at Gilman and, and we knew that if we didn't show up for every conference game, you know, there was a chance that we could be beat. Um, and I'm not sure that's quite the case in some of those other, up and coming states. Um, so consistently going against top talent, you know, almost every day, you know, I remember going against Harry Priebus and Joey Ehrman and um, Peter Fallon who played at Brown. I was going against those guys every single day in practice. And that, you know, that made the player that I am today. So um, I think a little bit more IQ on the East coast, but you know, and then, and then you'd see like, traditional athletes picking up the game a little bit later, maybe on the Western part of the United States. Yeah. Cool. I want to transition to you guys as players now. And uh, you both grew up in two of the biggest hotbeds of lacrosse, Adam, you on Long Island and Marcus, you in Baltimore. What was it like growing up there and how did you first get started playing lacrosse? Yeah, I'll, I'll start off with with my experience um you know growing up you know i didn't have that direct lineage to the game albeit in fact my grandfather played lacrosse in combination to football and wrestling at the time you know i was just really lucky to bump into a few had a stick at at school on the on the recess fields and um playing soccer with a bunch of my friends and you know, saw the game and, and immediately was attracted to it. And, you know, I was really lucky to join up on a team. And with all my friends and all that, just immediately fell in love with the game. And as I moved forward and I really just developed my passion for the sport, you know, 
the stick was just never out of my hands. It was something that was a part of who I was. You know, if you saw me just about anywhere, whether it was in school, out of school, um, you know, I probably had my lacrosse stick with me. And, you know, I one of the really positive things about being in a hotbed area is you have access to the game being played at a really high level in real life. You know, I think that's one of the great things that we're lucky to be able to do at Utah is, you know, kids can come and walk. Vermont and Denver and Duke and Virginia and they visit us here and they could see high class lacrosse being played. You know, I was lucky as a kid to be able to go to a Ward Melville or a Colesby Harvey game, a Huntington game, a Hofstra game, a Princeton game, etc., and create these real and true visions of who I wanted to be as a player and create, you know, this this view of these mentors and players of who I wanted to be. And the access to the final four was something that was Oh, Austin, you know, Chris, for me, you know, the greatest moment in terms of uh, impact in my life was watching Tillman Johnson play in the national championship in the final four and, and seeing him out there and being like, wow, you know, that's who I want to be. And from then on, that was just the dream that was created for me in my whole entire life. So, you know, that was, that was huge for me. Just, I think, you know, having that direct access to the game is a difference maker and that's what, you know, we're really hoping to bring out West with Utah and lacrosse uh, the Pac-12. Yeah, and I, I just to, to hop on there, you know, I could say almost word for word exactly what Coach Gitch just said. And, and the guys for me were, you know, a UVA guy like Matt Ward. Um, Coach Rotelli, I do remember you you playing, but I don't know if they had TV. Wow. Matt Ward, Adam Doniger from, from Hopkins. You know, I, I went to almost every Johns Hopkins home game. Uh, on It was just like a family tradition, obviously, that my dad played there in, in the early 1980s as a goalie. You know, we would just wake up and we'd go down to the Johns Hopkins home game and, and whoever they were playing. It was such quality competition, and, and I idolized guys, you know, Kyle Harrison and Paul Rabel and those guys. So, um, yeah, again, and I, I think kids today are really are at an advantage, and I see that in the, the talent of, of the younger generation because there's so much more access to lacrosse. You know, you go on YouTube, and there's thousands of, of clipped-up, you know, f- film breakdowns that, that you can watch as a player. You know, I was doing that as a kid. But I was just watching Mikey Powell's highlight reel on, on repeat. <laughs> and that was pretty much my, my films. Um, but now there's so many more options for, you know, defenders to go in there and watch Tucker Durkin. Um, you know, goalies, you can go in there and, and watch, um, you know, John Galloway, Adam Gittleman. Um, face-off position has, has exploded over the past five, six years. So, um, uh, you know, I think lacrosse is in a really good spot and, and trending upwards because of, of that access. Yeah. It, wow, that's that's awesome. It sounds like watching lacrosse and just being around it was a big part of your love for the game and development. What other things did you guys do as young players to become great? Um, what were you doing to practice when you were just getting started? I would – the first word that comes to mind for me with lacrosse was – you know, just be creative about finding ways to have the stick in our hands. I, I remember so many instances as a kid, you know, wall ball was always something that I loved to do. Still go back home to my house and I have, you know, just a slanted roof above my garage. And I would just like 
toss the ball up on two and it would bounce two, three times. And I'd try and catch it, you know, with my goalie stick to my offside or like different spots. But you know what I also think about it too, was just creating these different playground games with my friends. You know, we played across baseball. We played a game called pipes where you couldn't score unless you hit pipes. We would, you know, we would play variations that were like three by and, you know, just having the sticks in our hands when we were just hanging out, such a huge impact on how I played. And then as I progressed, sort of moving in towards like middle school and into high school, was definitely really um, committing myself to the craft of my position. For me as a player, you know, I, I probably all the way up until I was in grade had the short stick in my hand just as much as I had my goalie stick in my hand. And when I got sort of moving closer to trying to play in varsity lacrosse, just making a true and utter commitment to being a goalie was a huge step in, in the direction of my development as a player. Um, but like Marcus said, you know, I, I basically lived on elacrosse.org watching, you know, <laughs> GIF files of Tillman yes. and Brett Queener and Trevor Tierney and all the guys that I admired. It was just a feedback loop of just watching them make the same move over and over and over again. And I would watch those things and then I would step onto the field and try and emulate those movements as a goalie. And over time, you know, you're able to experiment and find out what works for you. And now you added things to your arsenal and your repertoire as a player to make yourself more dynamic. I love it. I love it. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you guys for one, you know, what is the, when you think back to playing at North Carolina and Virginia, what's the, what's the first memory that stands out from your days there? Yeah, I think, uh, I'll give you two. I think, I think my first memory, uh, and maybe the most impactful one in, in my playing career was, um, as a freshman, I come in and I think it was our, our third or fourth season and I, I came off the bench and we were playing Navy. We were up at Navy, um, I think on a Thursday night and it was actually a, a nationally broadcast game. It was on CBS Sports and I came off the bench and I was, I think, four for five shooting. Um, you know, I had four goals. I think I had an assist as well. And for me, it, it kind of gave me that confidence boost that I needed to just continue, um, you know, continue my work ethic and to continue for me to, to work hard. And, and, you know, it, it gave me that confidence that I could compete at, at the division one level. I think, you know, any freshman is, is lying to you if, if they tell you right away that they feel super comfortable going against, you know, the best defenders in the country at level. So, you know, even though I, I worked really hard and I, I did have some level of confidence prior to that, you know, that game kind of boosted me um, to, to kind of a, an upper echelon of, of confidence in myself. And then, you know, so that would be my first. And then, and then my most special memory there is, is winning the ACC championship as a senior. Um, a pretty special run that we went, you know, we won, rattled off 10 games in a row during the, the middle and peak of our season. And we were able to actually defeat Virginia in, in our football stadium um, in Chapel Hill, which was pretty special. And it was, I think, the first ACC championship for UNC since like 96 or something like that. So um, that was that was a really cool memory. And 
I'll never forget the, the locker room and the, the celebrations after that. So that was, was really special to me. Awesome. Adam, what about you? Yeah, just to me, you know, having the opportunity to get down to Charlottesville and, and be on campus and start to realize that, you know, this was, this was something that was real. And it was a dream that had been in my mind for so long to finally get on campus and, to get picked up by some of the older guys like Danny Gladding and Ken Clausen. And, you know, before we had started practice the fall of my freshman year to just be out on the field and taking shots from some of the best players who I'd been watching play in such big games over the past two, three years, um, you know, was so like, I was jaw dropped being out there. It was like, wow, you know, this is what it's like to be, you know, a, a true division one lacrosse player. And then, then to be out on the field with, uh, with Coach Darja and to hear him bellowing and, you know, the, the positive, you know, highly contagious uh, motivation that he was able to drive into to his players, you know, really, really motivated me. But, you know, I think one of the most important moments of my lacrosse career is actually more of a humble one. Um, you know, I think back to my freshman year and, uh, you know, having the opportunity to start as a freshman is, you know, something that, you know, I, I kind of, took in stride and didn't really think much about until you're in the spring and you're really playing some of those teams. And, um, you know, it was something that really opened up my eyes to how important the mental game is. And looking back at some of the struggles that I dealt with as a goalie. uh, And I just think back to my last game that year before giving way to Bud Petit was against Maryland and, you know, in their, in Bird Stadium at the time. And, you know, being in a stadium, fill 30,000 people and, and against, you know, some of the biggest, baddest guys at Maryland and being involved in a rivalry game and, um, you know, having lost that game. And, you know, I think it was, it was like one of the most humble moments of my career was to really truly experience like getting shelled and getting pulled <laughs> out of the goal. Um, you know, it just taught me a lot about resiliency and persistence and, you know, how to find a way as a player to, continue to improve in other areas. You know, I wasn't perfect and I realized that I couldn't just play the game and be the type of player I wanted to be. I really needed to tune up who I was as a goalie and as a leader. And uh, it really helped me to play that first year dealing with some of those, those difficulties early on in my career. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great story. So I want to transition to pro lacrosse right now. There's a lot going on. Uh, it's going, lacrosse is going through a major change at the professional level, and you're both right in the middle of it. Just a couple of months ago, the big announcement was made that Paul Rabel is spearheading a brand new pro outdoor league called the Premier Lacrosse League, or the PLL. You're two of the players making the jump from the MLL to the PLL. Why did you decide to do this, and what makes you excited about the PLL? Yeah. I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll be quick with my answer, Adam, but I think, um, you know, after after years of, of major league lacrosse and, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to play post-collegiately. Um, I, I still think it's amazing that I, I ever have a paycheck playing in a lacrosse game. Like, that still baffles my mind. Um, but I think after experiencing that for five years and, and – talking with Paul and some of the other um, 
guys, you know, the, the veterans that have been around that league for a while. I think it was just time for a change. And, and I, this wasn't something that, you know, was just out of the blue and we're going to do this and sit. No, like it was very thought out and it was, you know, almost a year and a half year process to even, you know, begin the launch phase of, of the PLL. And I think it was just time for, for a change and, and a fresh start. And for me personally, you know, this, this will be my, my sixth year of, of playing after college. You know, I realized that I'm, I'm not going to play forever. Um, and for me, it's, it's kind of been just revitalizing. Like I feel almost like a rookie again going into my first season because of, you know, the, the new TV deal and, and just the media exposure around the league and, and how it's been um, marketed on, on social media and so on and so forth. So I really feel excited about it. And, and I think the guys, uh, behind the scenes are doing a great job so far. Yeah, I, w- I would I would just stack my opinion on that. And, you know, I think the greatest part about pro lacrosse and this new generation, I think, Chris, you're, you know, one of the – at the forefront of this is it's, you know, created avenues for lacrosse players to become entrepreneurs, you know, and to create their own business drives and ideology on how to succeed and still play the game and – you know, you have this whole new generation of players who are finding a way to be involved with the sport play. So, you know, for us, it's kind of in our DNA to be innovators and frontier. And, you know, this is an avenue where we truly believe is going to take the pro game to the next level and, you know, create the exposure we want for the game at a consistent level. And, you know, if we want to make the best product out there on the field, we, we hope that as players – you know, we can back that up by, by being ready to go. And, um, you know, we, it was, it was great timing for all this to occur. And, you know, we trust Paul and, and the team that's running the PLL. They've been entrenched in the game since day one. And they're, you know, they're fully invested in, in growing the sport and bringing it to the next level. So we're happy to be on board. We just want to do our best to be great players and great ambassadors for the game. And, you know, that's, that's ultimately our, our motivation with the cross in general. Yeah, I love it, guys. So, you know, what are, what do you think fans should be most excited about with the PLL? I think you're going to just have an amazing experience. It's going to be, you know, a module of having the opportunity to experience a Final Four type venue and uh, experience as a as a fan. But now you're you're watching the best players at the professional level do what they do and you're going to have the opportunity to see three games. You're going to be able to interact with players in, in a way that, you know, I think is um, game changing. I remember to this day, you know, having those opportunities at the final four to interact with Casey Powell. And it's me. I still can, can kind of see that moment in my mind and the impact that's going to have on kids and for them to, again, to, to see a player and meet them and speak to them and then watch him play like a warrior on the field is, is everything you could ask for as a fan. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Marcus. Yeah. And just to, to add on to that, I think a huge piece of this is, is the TV contract with NBC yeah. sports, um, you know, to, ha- to have our games um, streamed on television in high definition, to have multiple camera angles um, that really are able to showcase, you know, a, a specific angle um, on a shot. You know, I think there are, are times I look back where um, 
you know, a, a specific camera angle really just makes a certain goal look incredible. Um, and then to have that, you know, the, the opportunity for that to potentially be on like a sports center top 10 play uh, real. So I think, you know, having that will, will lead to more exposure and more people seeing the game and, um, you know, having our friends be able to, to go to a bar and, and turn our game on and, and support us is super important. You know, if, if we're going to make sacrifices and, you know, I'm sure Adam can say the same, you know, I've, I've had to miss a couple weddings over the past few years and, you know, to be able to, to tell my friends that, you know, they're like, Oh, can, can I watch you play? And I would have to say, well, you have to buy this subscription to this, you know, website and you're going to have to pay a monthly fee to be able to watch our games, which, you know, the streams of those sometimes were not even visible. Um, and now to be able to tell them, hey, you know, the game's on NBC Sports, you can watch it at pretty much any place that you're out. Um, it's super cool to me as, as a player. That's, that's awesome, guys. That's super exciting. I, I mean, many of the top players in the MLL um, have also left. What do you expect the MLL will be like now that most of the top players have left the league? Yeah, I think it's still going to be great. You know, I think with the way that it's structured, you're going to have, you know, still the home-based teams in cities where, you know, a kid in Atlanta, a kid in Boston, a kid in, in Maryland can can still go and, and catch catch the team's play. And I think for us, as long as there's us being played and, and kids can watch it and, and people can root for it, we're more than supportive of, of that Um you know, there's obviously going to be some, some difficulties and, and, and they're going to have to, you know, change and, and react just like anyone would. But there's there's also great advantage in, in more guys being able to play and more guys having the opportunity to showcase who they are and as players and, and leaders. So, you know, it just opens up great opportunities for, for guys out of college. And again, you know, with, with the more guys playing and the more guys uh, supplementing their incomes, that means more guys can coach. That means more guys can can take chances and, and move out west to coach the game and, and create their their own you know training uh, opportunities for players. So it's all going to be a trickle down effect. The more guys that can stay involved with the game after they graduate from college and can play and can find a way to create a brand for themselves and, and teach kids, you know that's that's the beauty of this whole thing is that you know we're going to be more involved with the we're going to out there on the fields with the kids and then become better players and people by by being at by being even available i love i think that's a great take uh you know so it sounds like you see success on both leagues in the short term five years from now what do you think the landscape of the outdoor program pro game looks like all right do both leagues survive tough question it's hard to say you know (laughs) all all we can can root for is that you know both parties both leagues do their best and do their best to showcase the game in the right way. And, you know, who's to know? I think it's a, it's a day by day thing. It's just uh, like we try and do as a program here and like we do as individual players and in any way, shape or form, just, just trying to improve what we're doing. And, and, you know, we, we, we hope for a lot of peace and resolution with the sport. That's all we want is, is unity amongst the game. And we're seeing that come to a head with so many things in so many areas of lacrosse. So, you know, it remains to be seen. I think that's that side, uh, you know, my reach as, as just being a player. So, you know, just rooting for, for, for both parties to be successful. Yeah. 
I would, I would second that. And I think, you know, if, if you look 10 years down the, the road, Chris, um, with, with the announcement of, of the Olympic committee, you know, recognizing lacrosse as, as a pot- potential addition to the Olympics, um, you know, what an exciting that is. Uh, yeah. And I think that would be a dream, dream for all of us to, to see lacrosse in the Olympics. Um, even if it is, you know, a, a short-sighted version of, of the um, you know, how cool would that be to, to see a, a, a team playing in the Olympics, um, yeah. playing across? Yeah, it's an exciting time for the game, that's for sure. Yeah, away from the field, you're two of the co-founders of the Give and Go Foundation. Uh, what is that, and how can people who are interested get involved? Oh, man, it makes us so happy to hear us. You know, the Give and Go Foundation, you know, being being real and, and out there is, is so exciting for us. You know, the story really starts with the foundation many years back. And, you know, Marks and I, before we started our, our mission with Utah Lacrosse, were out in Europe, you know, running clinics and traveling and, and getting to know each other and on, a, on a really, you know, organic level. And. Um, it's been just that since day one is, you know, how can we take our passion for the game? How can we use our knowledge base to help some of these budding communities and teach the values of the sport uh, that we've learned uh, through the vehicle of lacrosse? And, and that's the goal with the Give and Go Foundation is to support communities through the game. And, you know, we want to get out there into the world. We want to offer great travel experiences for people to who have that passion to give back and to volunteer and give their time to help the game grow in a, in a really true and authentic way. And, um, you know, for us, uh, we've, you know, look, looking to officially become a 501c3 status as, as a nonprofit organization. We're really excited about the strides that we've made to be truly official so that we can fundraise and, and create opportunities for more players to get out into the world and help them with travel and et cetera. And, um, ways to get involved right now, uh, just continue to, to stay behind us, stay updated with, with what we're doing. We're, we've got a few initiatives coming up over the next few months. We're taking a big road trip. We're going to be right outside your borders in Lake Tahoe this month and traveling around the great trying to coach clinics and, and pass out equipment to players and try to get young kids started. And, um, you know, looking to get down to Central America and South America again with, lacrosse the nation's program so you know the more people we get to know the more communities lacrosse communities that that reach out uh you know the more access we can create for them we want to create a buzz around cool communities starting up and you know we've talked to lacrosse communities in nepal and you know we've been down to argentina and you know we're just trying to create excitement around the game and and really show people the true value of what the sport can give you as an individual and as a community. That's fan- fantastic. It sound, sounds like a great uh, mission. Um, you guys are going to do a lot of good with that. Last question. I'll let you guys get out of here. Uh, a lot of young lacrosse players listening to the show. What advice would you give them um, to be the best and, and to play in college? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll take this one to start. I think it would just be um, – you know, le- learn to fall with your stick and a ball and um, a wall or a goal. You know, I think my most, my biggest growth as, as a player, I think, was just spending hours by myself out in my, my front yard just shooting balls at little, you know, warrior pocket 
corner things. Um, I got those for like my 12th birthday and, and it was the best birthday gift I think I, I ever received. Um, and I think, think find inspiration in, in the access that you have, you know, find inspiration in, in a Lyle Thompson highlight reel. Um, you know, finding inspiration, uh, watching Brody Merrill pick up 11 ground balls in, in a game. Um, you know, I think there's, there's so many positive role models right now in lacrosse that, that it's easy to pick out, you know, one or two of your favorites and use them to, to kind of help guide your, your journey. Um, I think that would, that would be my, my two cents there. Yeah. I think for me, you know, my point goes back to, you know, how it all started for me and that's just falling in love with the creative part of the game, you know, making up games with your friends, finding ways to utilize your lacrosse stick in a life. And you know, I think one of the greatest things you could do as a player right now, I think that is a little bit lost is, you know, trying to find ways to and learn about and respect the history of the game. You know, how many kids can truly tell you what the arms of the game are? Um, who can tell you who Rick Beardsley is? Who can tell you who, you know, um, Paul Canabine is? Who can tell you, you know, Mark Millen, you know, and those guys that really were the upstarters of the game at different generations, um, you know, having a true love and passion for the history of the game can go such a long way for creating that, that truly passion for it. I love it, guys. You, 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 you two are legends. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Good luck with everything this, uh, this first season with Utah. Uh, we're excited to watch. Yeah.